0: Welcome everyone to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather round to discuss current interests and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. With me is my producer, Brian Ewing. I'm excited about today. This is the first in a series of new podcasts that we're doing and we're going to do a series throughout the rest of 2021 looking at the current future state of the economy. The economy is certainly dominating our headlines from a variety of perspectives and the questions we're getting from our clients about how they can react to the changing economy is something that we've spent a lot of time thinking about and I'm looking forward to talking to a number of my partners here at the firm as we explore these different issues. A particular timely topic for today, and we're recording uh, here on August 9th, 2021, uh, is the infrastructure bill. You've seen nothing else in the news for the past couple of weeks. It looks like it's going to pass. It was announced it would pass. Then they were going to vote. Then they weren't. But over the weekend, they have done some procedural voting. It looks like something may be adopted uh, later this week, perhaps by the time you've heard it. And so I wanted to bring in my partner Carrie Bennett to talk about the infrastructure bill. Uh, Carrie's a partner in our corporate and securities group and leads our communication team. Uh, she spent most of her 30-year career working uh, with small and rural broadband service providers uh, before a variety of state and federal regulators. There's a lot to talk about in the infrastructure bill and a lot specific to the broadband area. Uh, Carrie, I'm glad you could carve out some time to, to chat with us today.
1: Oh, Thank you, Mark. I appreciate being here, and I'm welcoming the opportunity to talk to you all. That's, it.
0: Yeah, that's great. Let's jump right in. I think the, the things I've read in the papers talk about dedicated money to improve high-speed Internet access for everyone in America. I, I've seen a figure of $65 billion for that. I don't know where it looks now. I know that things change from time to time. What what do we know about what looks like it's going to be in the bill, at least as of today, Monday the 9th?
1: Yes. Yeah, so so the bill has it is sixty five billion. The um, sixty five billion breaks down to about forty two and a half billion that will be awarded um, to the states as the eligible entities to disperse out to um, sub-grantees um, to build out broadband infrastructure in rural, remote areas, underserved areas, in urban areas where there's been some um, digital redlining where providers have not wanted to serve those areas because the people cannot afford to pay for it. So we've got that piece of it. And then we've got some other pieces that are um, more for the—they um, call it the Digital Equity Act—to teach. Um, people how to use the internet. Believe it or not, there's still a lot of folks, we take it for granted, um, that they don't know how to use the internet. A lot of those are, again, poor people, um, and a lot of Native Americans living on Indian tribes, um, and a lot of older people. So um, the idea is that to participate in the digital economy, you have to be able to um, go online and use the internet, know how to use devices. And so I, I can speak from experience. I have a I, I won't say my mother's age, but she's in her 80s, and she's very good at using the Internet and online. My father, on the other hand, gets his their divorce then He gets his TV signals um, off the air, doesn't know how to use the Internet, and stops sending his grandchildren um, savings bonds because you couldn't get them at the banks anymore. You could only buy them online. So <laughs> he had to resort to check writing, which is my mother is the complete opposite and sends everything through Zelle or Venmo. So <laughs> – you can see why they probably got a divorce. There was a divorce yeah, there. Right. <laughs> on that on the technology even. Um, so that's that's a good chunk of um, what we're seeing going on. There's a lot of money being thrown at this. Um, the states. I'll break it down a little bit by the states. Each of the 50 states will get initially 100 million dollars of that 42 and a half billion that I talked about. Um, there's four, American Samoa, Guam, um, the Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico will split 100 million between the two of the, the four of them, so they'll get 25 million each. And then um, after that money, that's that's about 5.1 billion of that to start out, and then there'll be more waves of that coming. The states will take the money and working through NTIA, there'll be programs set up to, again, fund the states, but the states will give it to subgrantees. The states aren't going to build this themselves. So from our clients' perspectives, where they need to start building good relationships is they've got a lot of good relationships with the federal government because they're used to this coming through the FCC or USDA through RUS. They're going to want to start working with the states on these grant programs. And the grant programs are, are not... 100% grants. You have to kick in your own money. You have to put in um, at least 25% as as a 25% match to the grant that you're going to get. So that's what we're seeing initially coming out of this, and the devil, of course, will be in the details. If anybody remembers, um, during the Obama administration, we had two programs, two federal programs, one administered through NTIA, the other one through USDA, to build broadband infrastructure as part of the um, Reco- American Recovery Act um, that took place back then. So broadband was a piece of that, and now we're seeing it again under the Biden administration and through this Congress.
0: Thanks, Thanks, Carrie. I do want to dive into some of those details. I, I guess let me ask though a threshold question. Are we actually going to have an infrastructure bill? I know you're, you know, there's been <laughs> a lot of papers talking about it. You're pretty close there in D.C., and I know you've been tracking it closely. Yeah, do you think that this is I, going to happen? And can you give our listeners a sense of timing? Because all the focus has been on the Senate, but obviously it then has to be adopted by the House as well. Well, what,
1: what, well actually, it, actually, the House has already – this was a House bill that the Senate is amending. So the what? House has done its part. Of, they've got to reconcile. They've got to go through a reconcile. reconciliation process with it. But I think um, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House are on board with seeing this through. And so I don't expect that to be an issue. What the issue is, is getting it out of the Senate. And um, they voted last night. um, There's no filibuster or closure. It's going for a vote. And we're expecting it to be voted on tonight at some point. And I think the votes the votes are there. So I think yeah. we see that the votes are there and we will get them and they'll it'll move through. Um now there's another part of this, and, and this is not what we're here to talk about today. I know you're probably going to cover this in another series. There's the um we've got the hard infrastructure bill, which is this is part of there's some other bill that will be passed. Um, and the House has been working on that in the Senate too. And this is where, you know, the Republican senators are a little alarmed. Um, by what's going to happen on that piece of it, because it can go through a different process. But that's going to be taking care of what Biden called the American Family Plan. This is the jobs plan. This is hard infrastructure. You know, the jobs that are more, what do you call the, um, I'll, I'll call it more the men's jobs. Um, okay. And the women's jobs are more the American Family Plan, where we've got the infrastructure that we're going to put together for the um, preschoolers, the college kids, um, and everything in between to help um, women get back into the workforce um, because a lot of women have not returned to the workforce as part of the pandemic um, because they're still at home taking care of children. So when we can get the children the care that they need and really good, great daycare um, and after-school care, then women can return to work. Um, and I think we know that with the, you know, the economy that's going, way it's going right now, we have a lot of jobs to fill. Um, And this will just create that we're going to have so many more, so many jobs to fill between the hard infrastructure and the soft infrastructure piece. Um, And I know you're going to cover that in another another podcast. So,
0: yeah, we're following that. Right. And that is because it's got to go through reconciliation. So you've got to have all 50 senators um, to go. So that'll be interesting. And am I correct in thinking that that I think I heard this morning? They're looking at maybe a September, -September mid-September timeframe to finalize what that reconciliation You know, the big, roughly three and a half trillion dollar. um, Yeah, that's part of
1: the Budget Reconciliation Act that we have to get through every year um, for the funding of all of the things that Congress puts forward. And it's not just this. It's everything that the National Defense Authorization Act, all of the things that normally pass through Congress that are routine, all have to still be funded through an appropriation process. And that's the budget reconciliation. So they're going to do that second piece through the budget reconciliation piece. You're absolutely right about that. So, but for infrastructure, the the last
0: key piece is going to be tonight's vote. There's not other stuff that has to, or sometime this week, um, the Senate approval is really.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, that's the key piece. And then there'll be some cleanup and, and reconciliation. And when I say reconciliation, the House is going to take a look at what, what the Senate does. I think policy said, we're not going to even look at it till it gets out of the Senate. We're not going to work on it. We're just, and they're in recess right now. So, um, but yeah, we're, this is the big hurdle tonight. We get through this. We're, we're, we're there. It's gotcha. a, a, It's a glide path to just, it's just the normal process that we go through. There's not going to be wrinkles that we have to gotcha. worry about.
0: I did want to ask a little more about the broadband piece in terms of what it might look like. And I guess a threshold thing, as you were describing it, that struck me is it's interesting that it's the same amount per state. Obviously, I assume there's a lot more infrastructure in big states like California and Texas than in little states like Delaware or Rhode Island. Right. Um, you know, was was that... What was was the thinking in part a political compromise with the to get to get everybody on board to have the same amount per state <laughs> as opposed to some per capita or maybe need based amount? Yeah. Per, per yes.
1: Day? So the way it works and this is like you have to the devil is always in the details. So I, I said it's 42 about 42.5 billion um, that's going for this piece of it. Um, the 100 million. We take 51 times 100 million. That's 5.1 billion. So it's gonna go. It's just the initial outlay is 100 million to okay. each state. Then it's so based on it's okay. based on need. And let me talk a little bit about the need because the way they've defined what an unserved area is, an unserved area is anything that doesn't get 25 download or three upload megabits per second. That's considered an, you know, think, think about, you know, dial up or, um, DSL or something like that. That's, that's kind of the 25.3. So that's now considered unserved. So you may have some sort of a little service, but you're considered unserved if you don't have high enough speeds. And then underserved is if you don't have a hundred down and 20 up. Um, so, then you're underserved. So, there's going to be some prioritization with the funding that the states will have to go through. And after every, this is an eight-year program, and if you take $5.1 billion, every year, the states can come back and ask for another $100 million. So, it's a process that will keep playing itself out. And if the states don't use it, it can, whatever states don't use or ask for, can be reallocated. Plus, you've got to remember, you've got a match going on of at least 25%. So, that's stretching the money out. even further when you have to do a match so that's going to be incumbent on the providers that are out there or companies that are able to do this to work with the states to apply for the grants and show that they've got the match because it's not completely free money now there's some waivers you can do to get completely free money but those are going to be farther and fewer between and and focused on really really rough terrain and remote areas I believe where there's not very many people
0: Is it all going to be um, fiber optic or, or physical cables, or does this include things like, you know, there's satellite, but there's also extended range, line-of-sight, microwave-type um, service? I, I don't know if it's if it's technology-specific when they come yeah. up with this speed stack.
1: It's, it's technology-neutral, actually. So when you're talking about 100 down, 20 up, you're really talking about a 5G type of service. Um, so wireless can have a play here. Satellite could potentially have a play if they can prove out the technology and get it to work right, and in really specific situations it could work. Um, so so this, it is technology neutral. Um, the only thing where I see it not being technology neutral and only being fiber, because there's this idea of future-proofing these networks so that they, you build once and, and, and it, it can be um, down the road, as long as we can foresee, at least for the next forty to fifty years. But who knows what what apps are going to be invented that hog up bandwidth? Um, but the wh- one area is anchor institutions because they want to get an anchor institution is like a school, a library, a healthcare facility. They want to get those connected. Those have to be connected at gigabit speeds. So that's a lot. So that's that to me says fiber. So they want, and there's another piece of this that I didn't talk about yet. There's a billion dollars allocated for middle mile projects. Middle mile projects are where you're not doing a retail uh, play to the subscriber. So you're not, you're just, you're building the pieces in between that the carriers use to transport the data services. So there's a billion dollars allocated for that. And again, that will be awarded through the states as well. Um, So there's been I don't know if you caught in in the Senate, there was a big fight about whether NTIA, which is a, a part of the Department of Commerce, or the Federal Communications Commission, which is an independent agency, should be the ones um, administering these programs. And the administration, the Biden administration said NTIA. Congress said in, the House said in TIA, there was a fight, a little bit of a fight in the Senate to see that they didn't think NTIA could handle it and they wanted to push it over to the FCC. The FCC, on the other hand, has a very important piece of this because we've been doing all of this mapping to determine what's already out there so we can determine where the unserved areas and the underserved areas are. And the last Congress had allocated funding for this mapping project, which is still going through that process. And it's a long process. And there's challenges that can take place between what's really available, what's not. And the FCC is doing this right now and using crowdsourcing. So you on your own with your cell phones and your own stuff, you can say, I don't get this coverage. This is saying I have this coverage. I don't have this coverage. And so it's going to be a big U.S. community project to determine where these unserved and underserved areas are, which is kind of a cool thing to be able to have the whole US participate in this. But it just goes to show you, and I think we saw this with the pandemic, that you know broadband really is the lifeblood of the new economy. Without this broadband, you don't have that new economy. You don't have the outreach globally and domestically to deliver services and products that we can do now. and. We, I know we know from our own farm perspective how much we were relying on broadband and still are. And we just got to get everybody connected to it. So and that's the goal.
0: Absolutely. That, that makes sense to me. Is there a sense of timing either in the bill or as you talk to folks in the industry about what it's going to take to, you know, to meet these goals and spend this money? Are we talking, you know, <laughs> you know is this a year, five years, 10 years more? I mean, uh, what, this what's, is- your, what's your sense of how long this is going to play out?
1: This is planned to be an eight-year project um, to get everybody connected, but I think, with like we saw under the um, Obama administration, the American Recovery Act was about shovel-ready projects that could be done immediately. Broadband is not a thing that you can just, you know, do immediately, and especially if you have to dig and life, life fiber. So a lot of this, we didn't even talk about the infrastructure bill on the transportation side, because there's a lot of... Um, highways that are going to be rebuilt, bridges and all those things. And when they're doing all of that activity, that's a good time to when you're digging up the roads to go ahead and put the broadband in then. So there's going to be a lot of coordination between Department of Commerce, the, you know, USDA, and also with the Department of Transportation. So this is going to, and, you know, we've got housing stuff going on as well in this infrastructure project. There's just a lot going on. So it's, you know, they say eight years and that's an, that's a really nice goal. Um, but in the, in reality, we're probably going to be working on this for a long time, but the good part of that is it's going to create a lot of jobs and a lot of opportunity. And, and once we get it all done, it's going to be amazing though. So.
0: It is exciting. I know. I've heard that, you know, in some rural areas, the problem is not just getting the infrastructure there in terms of getting the broadband, but there's so few subscribers that there's no money to maintain those networks. Is that, is, is there funding in this bill for, for that piece, the operational piece or, or, or how, how are folks hoping to deal with that operational piece once all this flood of money comes in to get, you know, high speed broadband out to three people living on a mountaintop? Uh, okay. In North Carolina or Colorado <laughs> or or anywhere else. Well,
1: you're you're very observant, Mark, and that's a good point that you raise because this is all about building. This is all about the capex. It's not about the opex. So these networks do take money to operate, and we we think you build it, and they will come. But if you build it and you've got lots of miles to cover with fiber or even putting up, you know, on wireless, putting things on towers and building towers, you've got to have the subscriber base to support it long-term. And you're right. There's, unless we can start connecting, and we are connecting things like cows and (laughs) um, precision agriculture and tractors and um, all kinds of things connected to the internet and our highways connecting to the internet and, you know, the connected cars, we have all of that, but it still isn't enough to pay for it. So, there's a glimmer in here of re-looking at the Universal Service Fund, which is a fund that's already in place. It's $10 billion a year to do um, support networks high co- in high cost areas, um, to also do lifeline support for people who can't afford um, their their phone service or their broadband service, um, and also to help the schools and libraries and telehealth providers. So that fund at 10 billion, when it's just serving the networks that we have today, and now we're gonna like you know quadruple the amount of networks that we have, that fund's gonna have to be increased somehow. And there is a provision in the bill that says, FCC, we want you to look at how we redo the contribution side of universal service, because that hasn't been looked at. We've fixed the distribution side of universal service over the last 10 years, but we've never changed how we contribute to the universal service fund. And a lot of people probably don't realize this until you look at your phone bill you see a little USF charge, universal service fund fee charge. It's about $4 a month. That's for your telecommunications, your voice telecommunications. And you're contributing that to your carrier who then submits it to the the FCC. Um, but that fund has gotten or that, that the people using just voice services has gone down so much that there's not enough of that money. So, the ma- amount that you need keeps going up. So, we got to retool all of that. And that brings into a whole argument about the big tech companies like Google, Facebook, um, that they get a free ride on the internet. They're not really paying it to use it. The carriers are building it and they keep having to build more capacity to handle all of that traffic, but they aren't making a contribution. So the FCC is possibly going to look at, and Congress is looking at, there's some other legislation about how we retool that and get that paid for. And that's a very, very important piece
0: interesting and I, I
1: we don't want to have it we don't want to build it and then have it fall down
0: <laughs> very true well your comment about big tech makes me wonder a little bit too who the winners and if they're going to be any losers are under this i mean is it mainly do you expect most of the money to go to the big players now the spectrums and comcasts or is this really an opportunity for some of your clients the the more rural focus Broadband or, or new companies that spring up to try to implement this. What what do you see industry wide? And, and again, we've got listeners that that may be big tech companies down to you know to small rural companies. So what kind of what what's your preview of what how it's going to shake out on the business side?
1: I think I think in a, a, the companies like a Verizon, T-Mobile, AT and T, they may go after a little bit of this money, but there's a lot of strings attached to this money, and they've had the opportunity to build out where that they, they see it being lucrative. That's the problem. There's not funding to support it once it's built, and because of that, I see this opportunity being more for. Um, the you know the infrastructure players like the tower companies on the wireless side like the Crown Castles, the Vertical Bridges, the SBAs, the American Towers, um, because they're going to want to build this infrastructure and then host it for the companies like um, to AT&T, Verizon, and, to, and T-Mobile. And then the rural carriers who have built the broadband out there and the co-ops that have been formed by the communities, um, I think it's an opportunity for them to expand their footprint. But I think we're going to see a lot of new players because there's a lot of rural America where these uh, telephone or broadband cooperatives don't exist. And those people in those communities are going to need to get together and form some sort of co op or do private partner, private public partnerships um, to get the um, broadband infrastructure built out in their areas. And it's going to take a lot of creativity because there's a reason why nobody's gone there, it's not lucrative um and unless there's a piece of keeping it supported down the road it's going to be kind of discouraging to go out and build it as well so um uh, but there we've also got a lot of fixed wireless the providers they're called wisps wireless internet service providers and they've been these little small mom and pop operations and some of them have grown bigger over time and and they've done some acquisitions and grown themselves bigger that way so that's opportunity there and they can meet the 120 100 up, 20 down. Download speeds with wireless technology. So I see some growth in in that. Um, but I think a lot of the. You know, construction companies that do the building. I think this is a great opportunity for them. We have a labor um, shortage in in that arena. In addition to like, we have some other shortages, like the semiconductor chips and supply chain things due to the pandemic. But there's going to be a lot of opportunity for all kinds of businesses across the board. And then once it's built, there's just opportunity for all kinds of businesses to pick up more customers, um, have, have access to more. And then people living in cities being able to out, move out to rural America where This broadband exists. And so we're starting to see a lot of people from California, especially in Silicon Valley, moving out because they can do their jobs remotely and they can have a better, cheaper cost of living um, concept and better living out and not since tight quarters. So we're seeing all that. So we're going to see a lot of changes uh, uh, over the next 10 years as this thing gets implemented. That's a great point. No, socially, that, and think, and, socially and economically. So yeah, no, I think for for a lot of in-house listeners um,
0: that may not even be in the telecom industry may see that impact as people are have the ability to move in rural things get tied up with all the other stuff. Brian, thoughts? I was just going to say, uh, going back to something uh, Carrie mentioned earlier, just to give um, listeners some perspective. Netflix alone represents more than 19% of the total bandwidth usage uh, available in the United States. So kind of building off of what uh, Carrie was talking about earlier about the FCC and some of the um, ISPs pushing to have uh, these larger tech companies that are using up a lot of their, the consumption of their products, taking up a lot of bandwidth Um, that gives you a perspective. That's great. I know the bill also references something called the Digital Equity Act. What can you just tell our listeners what what that is, Carrie, and and what that may mean for them? But
1: that's I, I really look at that as that that's more funding. It's about uh, close to three hundred million a year to educate people on how to use the internet and how to use devices. And I think we take it for granted, but there's still a lot of people, as I said earlier, that don't know how to use the internet. So it's a, a programs at the state level, um, designing programs, each state will get funding to, to do that. Um, to you know teach people how to use the internet, be inclusive, so think of it as digital inclusivities um also there's some provisions in the bill to prevent digital um, redlining so that you know I think I mentioned that earlier on that that providers will have to serve these areas, and this is primarily more in urban areas where they just try to not put the infrastructure in because they think oh, they can't afford to pay for it, but there's also a provision to extend the emergency broadband funding. Bill that was enacted under the pandemic to lower the cost of to uh, folks who can't, low income folks who can't afford access to the internet. And there's an overall push. I think we pay some of the highest amounts in the US anyway for broadband services to make that like less for everybody across the board. But also, I mean, just both, both making everything affordable um, so that nobody's precluded from participating in this digital economy.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. That's a great overview of the bill. Let, let I wanted to end with a question in terms of suggestions you might have if I'm if one of our listeners is an in-house counsel or they're getting ready to talk to legal counsel. Any tips and things they should be thinking about as this bill passes and then goes in, you know, that they may want to be. Um, thinking about it, it's obviously going to vary by industry, but I guess in part, maybe I'm asking you know what what will develop and kind of using your crystal ball, what kind of things <laughs> should people be looking for as as the actual bill then rolls out and we start seeing this broadband go forward.
1: I think to the extent that you're in an area where you are, you're unserved or underserved to, uh, you know, to look at trying to identify those areas as the mapping gets done, pay attention to the maps, make sure that the maps, because the coverage is inflated. I will tell you, especially on the wireless side, and they just released some maps on Friday to show AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and U.S. Cellular's coverage in the U.S., and we looked at that and we started laughing because we know they're saying that they have coverage where they don't have any coverage. Um, so we're like, well, are these marketing maps that they use? Just, just pay attention to the maps because you'll get cut out of the process if you don't challenge something. And there's going to be a challenge process to for, for folks to come in and say, no, there's not. So they say there's service here and there's no service here. Um, so you got to pay attention to that. And then think long-term everything's going to be connected somehow some way to the internet things that applications that you haven't even thought about yet that you're you know if you have a three or four year old they'll probably be designing these things that will show how you know we're going to be connected like this so it's 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 funny when i started in this business um they they thought that a cell phone would give you maybe 20 percent. this is back in the 80s 20 percent of people in the united states if we were lucky would have a cell phone and now we've quadrupled that plus all of the internet um, of things—things things that are attaching. So,
0: yeah, technology is is pretty remarkable. So, um, and that's a good reminder that we are in an age where we're doing everything from everywhere, and so the broadband is an important uh, important component of that and making that happen for people, uh, no matter where they where they are. Yeah,
1: so, I and I agree. If you don't have the broadband, you can't do everything from it. You, can, you can't do everything from everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: That's terrific. Anything else? I know our time's about up. Anything else, Carrie, you wanted to share or Brian with our folks before we wrap up?
1: No, I'll, just, I'll just say stay tuned and we'll you know get the information out to everybody as quickly as we can once the 2,700 pages <laughs> gets through the pike. And this is just one page. This is like um, probably only 100 pages of it. So there's a lot more, more, a lot more to come.
0: Sounds great. Well, I'm glad you're tracking. I know your clients appreciate the fact that you're understanding what it is and helping them take advantage of what's going to be a lot of money coming there, coming into the broadband industry over the next several years. So that's exciting. Uh, I do want to remind our listeners that you can find previous episodes of the In-House Roundhouse and subscribe to this podcast at the website WombleBondDickinson.com or iTunes, Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, please share them with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. See you at the next station. In-House Roundhouse is a production of Womble Bond Dickinson. Brian Ewing is our producer and Robert Daughtry is our audio engineer.